during the boom years of the early 2000s, leaving the economy exposed to the financial crisis. This, they argued, made draconian spending cuts inevitable. However, as the crisis hit in 2007, the United Kingdom had the lowest debt-to-GDP ratio in the G7, lower than when labor had taken power a decade earlier. And if labor was supposedly running excessive deficits, The markets remained strangely unconcerned, with market rates on British bonds running close to pre-collapse lows. This left many wondering why the British budget exploded in 2008, and what it might say about coalition rule in the United Kingdom. These questions, however, were strangely missing from discussion during the election. Cameron did not discuss why the United Kingdom's outsized and over-leveraged financial sector made the nation suffer disproportionately from the worst financial crisis since the 1930s. Financial deregulation and the unsustainable growth in private, not public, credit fatally exposed the United Kingdom's banks to the United States' subprime credit crisis. The collapse in credit growth in 2007 through 2009 hurt the United Kingdom's budget not because the Labour government was too deep in debt, but because the national economy was more dependent on financial activity than elsewhere. By 2007, the British exchequer was taking nearly 25% of total tax revenue out of the financial sector just prior to the crisis, which was a mere 10% of the economy. With the financial crisis, these revenues plummeted, leaving the government short of cash and needing to borrow heavily. Bank Robbers As households and firms clamored to reduce their debt levels in the wake of the crisis, the automatic stabilizers of government deficits allowed the economy to return to growth relatively quickly by 2009 through 10. Government budgets, public debt, took the strain of bailing out British-based banks, such as the Royal Bank of Scotland and Lloyd's, sources of private debt, that would otherwise have collapsed destroying the assets of the people who opposed bailouts in the process. The conservative-liberal-democratic coalition diagnosed the nation's woes as symptoms of labor spending excessively on welfare and wealth redistribution. The government then set about reducing the deficit by slashing social programs and public employment. Austerity policies very quickly pushed the economy back to a near recession, averted only by slowing the pace of deficit reduction and encouraging private sector credit growth through government guarantees on home loans. The coalition's spending cuts were never reinstated once the economy began to recover, and its austerity policies were politically selective. Health care and pensions were spared the axe, programs that disproportionately benefit older citizens who tend to vote conservative. The government focused its cuts instead on the younger end of the working population, Spending on these groups was already lower than on the elderly, which required cuts to be deeper in order to provide substantial savings. Cash benefits and local government employment, for example, took 50% of the budgetary hit, while almost $14 billion, around a quarter of the total government spending reduction, targeted disabled people. As a result, the poorer half of the British electorate lost heavily from changes to taxation and benefits implemented by the coalition, while the top half mostly benefited from them.
The bank rescues of 2008 through 09 made the government responsible for paying for the recession it created. The labor economic system forced private debt to be the responsibility of government budget setters. The coalition government, in turn, passed its financial woes on to impoverished citizens dependent on government spending. This reality was hidden from view during the election. Instead, Miliband was pressed in TV debates to admit that labor had overspent, and his denial provoked widespread derision. The economic crisis that hastened new labor's demise had nothing to do with overspending and everything to do with its uncritical acceptance of 21st century financial innovation and its excesses. Before analysts conclude that labor has no choice but to shift to the right, we need to remember the lessons of the global financial crisis.